championship, so we went down to this tiny town called Mount Pulaski last night, and so he was late to bed watching, <laughs> watching basketball. So yeah, um, yeah, this is, I have to be honest, I just got this suit because I'm actually in college ministry. I'm the area director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a college ministry. Um, and so on seven campuses between Decatur all the way over to Rock Island in the Quad Cities. And that's actually how Sam and I met. Before I was director, I was on campus at Bradley. And uh, at the end, beginning of my second year, after my first year was over, I was kind of able to catch my breath and uh, be like, what else should I be doing? And I I was like, well, I should meet some people from some of the other Bible studies on campus. And so I saw a sign that happily said free pizza <laughs> in addition. And I was like, I think I'll go to that. And I did. And it was Sam. And uh, yeah, we met after the study was over. And um, it was all students other than me and him. So future weeks, I decided I wouldn't return since I wasn't a student, but I would come early. So we agreed that I would come early and we would pray for his Bible study that was about to meet. And then my Bible study met later in the week. And so we'd pray for that too. And so through that, we got to know each other. And many weeks since then, we've met up usually at Starbucks uh, because he loves coffee and talked about life together. And we both have, well, he has four kids. We have three kids, both married. And so, yeah, lots of things to talk about, lots of things to pray for each other for. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I appreciated the music. I appreciate the repetitiveness. It gives you a little time to reflect. From Grace, we sing a lot of hymns in the morning, and that does not has a value in those, but you don't have the opportunity to reflect on the words over and over again. But I do feel like this is kind of a Presbyterian podium that I'm behind, so it does remind me this is only the second time I've spoken at a church other than my own, so I appreciate the invitation. Um, all right, if you notice in the bulletin, kind of a strange title perhaps, A Horrible, Beautiful Story. But I love this story, thanks for the reading of it, Um, and we're going to talk by the end. I think you'll see why I call it a horrible, beautiful story, right? Um, And we're even going to have a chance to respond to that at the end. But what I love about this is it's going to show the gospel. It's going to show the core of Christianity in action, in action. So if you read in Romans, you might have like an explanation of it, or you might have kind of an argument for it. In this story, we're going to see instead, what does this look like just lived out? in a person's life. So that's what we're going to look at. Before we do that, though, as I was reading, um, a couple of questions came to my mind, so I'm going to give a little background to try and take some of the questions away before we get started. That's how my mind works. If you can answer some of the questions, then you can concentrate on the other things better. So the first thing that came to my mind is the woman in this story isn't given a name, right? And the best thing that I can guess is that, so Luke, Luke's the writer, Luke doesn't actually join, um, meets Paul partway through Acts, but everything before that, Luke has had to go back and interview people to write the narrative, right? And so my best sense is that this happened so quickly that the disciples did not actually know this woman's name. The story stuck with them, they told it to Luke and he recorded it, but they never caught her name, and so her name wasn't added. But it is a little strange to have a story where the main character doesn't have a name. Second thing that's strange about this story is that we see that Jesus is at Simon's house by Simon's invitation, right? Verse 36, uh, reading from the NIV, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, right? But then by the end of the story, we realize that he did not offer Jesus like the customary courtesy or hospitality of the time. And so it's kind of strange. Why would you invite Jesus and then act like you didn't want him there? 
It's a little bit of a mystery. The best I can gauge is that Jesus, right, is an itinerant, a traveling rabbi. He's been in town, possibly spoken at the synagogue that day, or recently Simon feels obligated to invite him because he's spoken, but Simon, having heard his message, doesn't actually like him or agree with him. By the end of the story, it's pretty obvious that they have different views of a lot of things, and so Simon feels obligated to invite him, but his obligation shows through in the fact that he doesn't actually offer him any hospitality, right? But it's strange to understand that he's been invited but isn't actually welcomed. And we know that that, you've probably been through that at some points in your life, and that doesn't feel very good, right? All right, last thing. Um, My version has a little bit of a different phrase than what was read here, but um, it said sitting at the table, right? Um, So Simon's probably throwing a formal party. And so you can think maybe to, I don't know when your family celebrates formal parties, but maybe Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, right? We were just at my mom's uh, family for Christmas, and she had people over, and you get out the nice dishes that you have that are probably only out a couple of times a year. You put up decorations right, and everyone's at the dining table, or if you have a big enough family, maybe some people in the living room too, but everyone's sitting down, right? Well, that's the only, everything else from our culture would translate to their culture approximately, except for that, right? They would kind of lay down or recline when they were eating, right? So you can imagine if today was the complete opposite of what it is, if it was not a snowy February day, but if it was a warm day in July or August, right, and you were out wanting to get some sun, you laid down on your stomach and propped yourself up on your elbows or laid on your side and propped yourself up on your elbow to read a magazine or something, that's the position that they would be eating in. So in that position, we can see this woman isn't kind of like crawling under the table or something like that. There is a way that she can approach Jesus from behind, be kind of unnoticed because his feet, he's laying down, his feet are stretched behind the table. There's servants probably coming in and out with food and stuff, so we see that she can kind of act like a servant and then approach him from behind. But she's not, she's not invited to be there, but she can approach Jesus from behind without people noticing. All right, so when you have a guest speaker, at least when you have me, there's only two points. Sam said he usually has three, but there's only two points, but they're very important, so I want you to grab them. Um, The first thing I want you to notice is repentance. What does repentance look like? So repentance is, um, if you're around church, you hear that word a lot, but what it means is that moment when you're you're done, right? You're not going to repackage the wrong things you're doing. You're not going to hope that they go away in a day or two or that, you know, the consequences kind of blow over. You're not going to find someone that's worse at it than you and say, I'm okay because I can think of people that have a bigger problem than I do. You're done. You're honestly admitting the wrongness of what you've done before God and the consequences probably on how you've hurt other people and probably on how you've even hurt yourself. And that's the moment that this woman's at, right? And we'll see that not from, like, a lot of explanation. We'll see that from her actions. So what's the first thing that we learn about her? We learn that she's lived, again, from the NIV, verse 37, a sinful life, right? It's interesting that it doesn't say what that is, and I think that's actually helpful to us because at least if you were me, you read she struggles with anger, she struggles with sexual sin, you would immediately start to think, like, oh, I don't have that problem, Or, wow, I wonder if my problem's better or worse than her problem. I do kind of have that problem, right? We're spared any of that opportunity or distraction, and we're simply able to say, there's wrong, there's sin in my life, there was sin in her life. Will I be able to respond in the way that she responds, right? And so we don't need to wonder if we have sin in the same areas. We can simply say, we have sin somewhere. We can reflect on where that is. She has sin somewhere. We don't know where it is. 
and we can be honest and move forward. So what does she do in response to this sinful life, right? What does repentance look like? Well, she shows up, and she's weeping, right? Verse 38. And I can say, I'm man enough to say that I cry at times, right? But I could also say that when I cry, it's usually like your eyes getting red and maybe a few tears, right? And somebody handing you a tissue, maybe going to the bathroom to wash your face, you know? That's not the sort of crying that she's doing. She's doing the sort of crying that gets Jesus' feet actually wet, right? So we get a picture of how sad she is just from the pure kind of volume of tears that she's crying. And then what does she do? She starts to wipe and even kiss Jesus' feet, but she wipes them with her hair, right, to clean them now that she's gotten them wet with her tears. And I have to say that that's, that would be a gross thing, right? None of us would want to do that. None of us would want someone to do that for us. That was a grosser thing in their time, right? Because at least in the movies that you see, Jesus always wears something similar to Birkenstocks, right? Um, it's dusty. They didn't know how to pave roads then. It's a Mediterranean climate. It's warm. They're probably perspiring. And then I have to add one more thing, which we know as we look forward towards the end of Lent, right? Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on what? On a donkey, right? So if you had things to transport or you had money, you didn't walk, you rode a donkey or a camel, and they were had their dung on the street, whatever, <laughs> you know? We could trust that Jesus stepped over that, but it gives us some context just of, like, the smell. And, you know, this is the roads he's traveling are dusty, it's warm out, there's animals on them. What she does would be gross enough for us to do. It would be even grosser in her time, right? So what do we see first? She's mourning over her sin. And secondly, we see that appearances are gone, right? Anyone that's going to kiss someone's feet, that's going to clean them with their hair when they're that dirty, is not concerned about appearances anymore, right? Appearances are gone, and so that's part of repentance. And then what's the third thing that we see? She brings expensive perfume with her and puts it on Jesus' feet, right? And so she's willing to do something costly. And so in these three actions, like I said at the beginning, rather than kind of spelled out, but if we put these three details together, her mourning, her lack of concern with how other people are regarding her or with appearances or with saving face, and then her willingness to give something expensive, this creates in her life a picture of what repentance is, right? She's done. She's done. She needs help. And she's come to Jesus for that help. And the story kind of pauses there. And so we'll go on. The second thing I want you to notice is what is Jesus like? We've seen what repentance is like. What is God like? What is Jesus being God like in this story? So that's the second thing we'll look at. And the interesting thing is that this is kind of the hinge point of the story. Jesus is going to agree with her, right? He's going to say, yeah, you wouldn't have done all these things if you weren't kind of at the end of your rope and you didn't think that sin was important. And Jesus agrees because he's going to tell a parable that illustrates that sin's important. Um, before we get to that, though, let me just say, this, this is a hard spot, right? In some ways, we wish that maybe Jesus didn't act the way that he acts, right? Think how you would act if this was your child or your best friend or your auntie or somebody in your family that you really cared about. Wouldn't you be more apt to, to say, to pick her up? Right, and to say, you know, like, yeah, you're right, it was wrong, but it doesn't have to go that far, you know. Let's get you to the bathroom, get you cleaned up, like there's people staring at you, right? 
And so the temptation and maybe the response we wish Jesus would offer, because it seems on the surface like it would be nicer, would simply be to say, like, this is just too much. You know, like, let's pick you up. Let's get, you know, let's get a little humanity back in this situation. Right. But that's that's not the response that Jesus gives. Instead, he tells a parable and this parable um, for just a second, I think, is easy to misunderstand in our culture um, because the numbers are 50 and 500, right? And anyone would rather leave here with 50 or $500 more than they came in with. But that's not really like a life-changing sum of money, right? But that's not the denominations in their culture. So in my translation, it says 50 and 500 denarii. And so that's a day's wages for like an average worker. So I'm not great with math. I'm decent with math. I'm best when it's kind of simple rounding. So we'll take 50 days as two months. Okay, we'll take my salary. We'll take 50 days as two months. It'd be a little more than that. We'll take 500 days as two years. It'd be a little less than that. But for simple purposes then, that gets you to $10,000 and $120,000, right? So just to put that in our terms, $10,000... I loved a, uh, I loved having a small Civic that I drove, and it got 38 miles a gallon, and uh, that was really good because I drive a lot for my job. But when we had a third child, and I'm the one that does, my wife works in the school, so she's gone early in the morning, so I'm the one that does the drop-off for our kids. When we had CJ, we needed something that was big enough for all their car seats to fit in the back, so that was the end of my two-door Civic. <coughs> and uh, we bought a new, or well, not a, a used, new to us, SUV with 100,000 miles on it. Um, it's worked really well for us, um, for $9,000 out the door. So that gives some sense. $10,000 would be like not a new car, but a decent, like, solid used car, or it would probably be a down payment on a house, right? $120,000 would be, like, a house free and clear. You actually own it, right? At least if you live in the city of Peoria. So Jesus comes along, and he says exactly what her actions have illustrated. You're right, sin is important. You're not wrong to be mourning and broken up and not concerned about what people think because I'm going to tell a parable, and it's going to give really different amounts of money, but both amounts of money are too much debt to be repaid, right? That's how the story goes. And we see that when we actually put the money in our own terms. We're like, yeah, $120,000, $10,000, different amounts of money, but very real amounts of money, and too much debt to be repaid by the people in this story, right? So Jesus agrees with her, and the first thing that he says is, sin is an important debt. Um, And we're tempted to wish in some ways that he would have said, you know, Maybe it's, it's not that big a deal, right? If his actions by picking her up or something like that had said it's not that big a deal. But what we have to realize as we're getting close to starting Lent, Lent culminating obviously with Jesus' death and resurrection, is any time that we minimize sin and that that's a temptation, this happens on a side note, and then I'll come back to my point. This happens all the time in the small group that we go to. Um, I don't know if you guys ever do this. Maybe you're more mature. But in the small group I go to, I'll say something like, I was too hard on the kids, you know, like they were bad and I just got really mad at them. And then someone will immediately say, yeah, I bet they really ticked you off, you know, and I'm like, right. But that's not the point. The point is, you know, I agree they did something bad, but I need as, my, as the dad to, to be above responding that, you know, with too much anger. Right. And so we, we tend to find ways to minimize sin, to minimize our own sin and often to minimize the sin of our friends. But what we unintentionally do when we do that is we minimize Jesus' death, right, and resurrection, because Jesus came to die to forgive us our sins and to rise to give us the power to change, 
But if that wasn't all that important, if that's something that we can kind of minimize for ourselves and for each other, unintentionally we've ended up minimizing Jesus' death. And so what's interesting is in this story, Jesus doesn't do that at all. This woman is, is, you know, kind of at the most basic level she can possibly be at, seeking forgiveness, and Jesus agrees with her and says, you're right, you ought to be seeking it at this really humble level because it's really an important thing, this sin in your life, right? But he also comes with a piece of good news, right? What happens at the end of the parable? Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both, right? Right? Jesus says sin is important. That's the first thing. But the second thing he says is that forgiveness is possible. And what's interesting about this is that he takes completely different perspective than what Simon said. If you skip up earlier in the story, Simon is saying, if if, if Jesus were a prophet, if Jesus were God, he would know what kind of woman this is and he would kick her out. She does not belong in a place with good religious people, right? So Simon's theory is basically forgiveness isn't possible, If you've messed up, then you should just get kicked out so you're not around the other people. You don't mess up the people that haven't messed up yet, right? So we see a whole lot of problems with this perspective. First of all, it assumes that there are some people that haven't messed up. And then secondly, it assumes that the way you keep yourself from messing up is you get rid of anyone that has problems, right? Not a very gracious perspective. On the other hand, we can probably think of some people in our lives or our culture that They probably wouldn't put it in those terms, but more or less, that's what they actually think, right? If I can just keep myself away from the bad people and keep the right face up, especially when I'm around other good people, I won't have any problems, right? And so that's Simon's perspective. So from Simon's perspective, forgiveness really isn't possible, and the best thing that could happen would be if we could just get rid of this woman and get back to whatever we were talking about before this awkward situation happened, right? Jesus says forgiveness is possible, Right? And in fact, says that she's forgiven and sends her away in peace at the end of the story. So we're going to have a chance to respond to that in a minute. But before I do that, I promise to say why I see this as a horrible, beautiful story, right? And it goes to what it says on the front of the bulletin that it's about attitude. This is a story about attitude. So this is a beautiful story. If, like this woman, you have a humble, broken attitude, towards sin, right? Jesus welcomes you, right? He offers you forgiveness and he offers you the power to change. If you're at that point in your life where the sin in your life, maybe it's your whole life or maybe it's just one part of your life, but that sin is too much, it's overwhelming, you, you don't want to manage it anymore, you know you can't fix it, then this is a beautiful story because it shows that when you're honest about what you're struggling with and you take it to Jesus, forgiveness is possible. However, to be honest, I also have to say that this could be a horrible story. Because if you have the proud attitude that hides sin, that pretends you have no sin, and that in doing so then ends up looking down on people that are struggling and being honest, like this woman is, then this is not a beautiful story. This is, in fact, a horrible story, right? And Jesus, um, in what is one of the stronger interactions, I think, in the whole New Testament... Verse 46, Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, he's not even looking at Simon when he's speaking to him, and think about, culturally speaking, Simon very likely is a wealthier person. I'm sorry to say this, but it's honest to their culture. Is By gender is more important, and by religious education, because a woman wouldn't have been formally religiously educated in that culture. So likely by wealth, by gender, by education, Simon is a more important person. And yet, what is Jesus doing? He's speaking to Simon. 
in strong ways to remind Simon of his lack of hospitality. And he's not even looking at him, right? And so we're left to realize that if you have the proud attitude of Simon, unwilling to be honest about sin, and instead wishing that other people were put out, this is a horrible story, right? And why is this Jesus' response to Simon? Simply because there's no, Simon gives no room for Jesus to enter in, right? In a sense, all Jesus is giving Simon is what he's asked for. Simon apparently thinks he doesn't have any sin and he ought to get rid of people. And so Jesus says, okay, you know, you're not asking for my help. You're not asking for my presence. You didn't show me hospitality. I'll speak to, you know, I'll engage with the people who are inviting me to engage. And Simon, you're not inviting me to engage. And so when that's our hard attitude, and it starts with a hard attitude of saying that there's no sin or no brokenness or no mess in our lives, this becomes a horrible story because it reminds us that that's an attitude that Jesus has to and does, in fact, ignore, right? Just like he's ignoring Simon by the end of this story. So this story is a story about attitude, about honesty, about sin, and about a willingness to ask Jesus for help. And so as we close, I'm going to give us a chance to respond to that. So I ask uh, Sam how Zion commonly does responses. And then he was too gracious to tell me. He said, well, you, you've done many responses, which is true, in your job with InterVarsity. So you just do it how you're used to. So, um, so not, knowing, <laughs> not knowing any other option, I'll do it how I'm used to. So what, what I've commonly done is just invited people to stand where they're at. Uh, why stand? Because it's a public statement, it's a public commitment, and it allows the people around you to kind of know and be able to be supportive of you. Um, on the other hand, we don't want it to be a public commitment in terms of like wanting other people to see us. So we want it to be a private thing between us and Jesus, and yet also a public thing so that people can see, um, like, see us and be supportive of us and pray for us and encourage us in the decision that we're making in a public decision. Kind of like at a wedding, I was in Sam's wedding, and you know, you stand up for a wedding because you're making a public decision, and yet at the same time, it's a personal thing between you and your wife, right? So that's kind of the same analogy. So the responses that I wanted to offer were, this is the first time that you've understood or that you've wanted to agree that there's sin in your life that you cannot fix and that you're tired of hiding, tired of managing, and instead just want to be forgiven and want power from the outside, from God, to start to be the thing that tries to create change rather than your own efforts that haven't worked, then I'll invite you to stand. And then secondly, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. I remember that, you know, I don't even remember. uh, As a Presbyterian, I was baptized as an infant, which I don't remember, and I don't remember even the time that I joined the church when I was fairly young. I remember it vaguely. I think I was in second grade. So some of you, older than me, have probably been in that spot even more years than I've been in, right? But... I'll also give an opportunity for anyone that says, you know, this is me. There's sin in my life. I know I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm the person that's in the church every time the doors are open. And yet there's still sin in my life. And I I don't know what to do with it. And so we'll give you an opportunity to stand too. So those are the two responses. So I'll just offer us a brief moment of silence to reflect. And then I'll um, offer us those responses. So yeah, take a moment to reflect on this story.